this lady. Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa la'aqibatu lil-muttaqeen, wa la'udbana illa ala zalimeen, wa salawatullahi wa salamuhu ala ashraf al-anbiya'i wal-mursaleen, Sayyidina Muhammad, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla, wa anta tajlul hazna idha shi'ta sahla, Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatik, ya Rabbil Kareem. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Can everybody hear me clearly? Yeah? Some people are getting old, Saeed. <laughs> no, no, everybody can. Allah, Allah. Right, so, um, radio folks, let's uh, get cracking. Couple of things. Couple of things are where. So, I'm not going to insult anybody here by asking you who watched the last week's lesson. Because I don't want people to say, Will you finish? Tell the people how bad it is in front of the cross in front of people. Gigi. I hope that people take this lesson. Uncle Abdul Haq is telling folks that when you are walking towards the to the lesson area, please be careful that you are not crossing in front of people who are praying. It's very important, okay? Um, of course, crossing, as we've covered before, is only in one's personal space. Um, and if you are, for example, let's say two meters in front of a person, yani roughly, you, you have roughly about two meters, yeah? So, or let's say a foot in front of where you make sajda, yeah? That's the end of the personal zone. So in between this, yeah, your feet, and about two meters, or where you make sajda and a foot, okay? This is your personal zone. This is where you're not allowed to cut anyone who's praying. Is that clear? Anything after that is not called cutting the prayer. However, however, that's religiously speaking. Culturally speaking, you might as well go and slap that guy in the face. Even if you are one mile ahead and you cut across the yani, yeah? you might as well stab him in the eye, okay? So that's yani, the, like, 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 yani, we don't know, I don't know what happened, but I know that. Every elder on this planet, and he believes that. And they like to make it easy for us, so they stand at the back of the masjid to just make things, you know, convenient. Because, you know, they're nice like that, right? Like custom, they're saying that, they, you know, the, the whole no-cutting zone reaches to the stars, and then they stand at the flipping back. I can say that now because, you know, he's gone, but obviously when he comes in. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm a tiger, yani, sometimes. Like I'm a rock. If anyone brings any sweets, yeah, I will... Don't even think about making any moves for any sweets. Any food we are, I'm a rock now, that is it. Okay? I'm not, I'm not the rock, but I'm a rock. Some people also, by the way, when I have a clean shape, okay, like a freshie, they do also say I'm the rock as well, but... Who am I to argue, Lala? Anyway, so... We were talking about doing someone's bestie, but I forgot. Ah, you lot, yes, right. So, I know that none of you watched the, the lesson on the uh, women's prayer uh, last week. But, you know, just for fun, let's confirm anyway, all right? So, how many packages did then tell me that? Okay, none of you lot, all right, well done. Oh, hello, hello, okay, one. Dr. Sam, you watched it, yeah? You sick guy. Okay, you sick guy. 
Irfan as well. It was. Uh, you heard that? He wanted to do. He wanted to watch it through the podcast. Yeah, Hamza, that is. He wanted to watch it through the podcast, the physical demonstration of the women's prayer. Lala, you're talking about Toronto, your pack. How's he going to attend live? His excuse, yeah, is that he just got the audio on your name. This would be old Hakeem, honestly, yeah. And I get the one who gets hated everywhere. Why are you picking on Shaz for? Why are you picking on Shaz for? Why are you picking on Shaz for? <sighs> Shaz, you know why, why I noticed that today? It was yesterday with Sheikh Ihlan. Sheikh Ihlan, by the way, should have been taking this lesson. Let me just make it clear. Sam Faisal, you're right, yeah? Um, Sheikh Ihlan was meant to be taking this lesson, but he found himself a nice, convenient excuse. Mm -hmm. Something about airports and flights and this and that, whatever. Lame, of, co of course. In any way, whilst we were having a chat, we came to a conclusion that Shazad has become Mr. Miserable. In the Mr. Man, is there Mr. Miserable? Mr. Misery? Mr. Mr. Sad? No, no, he's not Mr. Sad. He's not Mr. Sad. I, uh, grumpy. Mr. Grumpy. That is what you are. And you've got the right shape uh, head as well. Yeah. Mr. Grumpy. I'm so grumpy. I used to be that person, you know. I'm not that person anymore. I'm not Mr. Happy yet. Back in our day, that was the acid face. Obviously, you know, everyone's like, nobody knows what that is these days. Uh, millennials obviously have no idea what even acid is, which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. But that was definitely the, the, the logo for acid. Whilst we're talking about my days and old days, I've got to say that I saw a clip of a millennial trying to use one of those old phones. Yeah? I'm, I, I, it's easily the funniest thing I've seen this year. And it, when, when, when the presenter said to, to, it was a girl, she goes, yeah, I know what that is. She goes, what is it? She goes, it's, a, it's a, the old dial tone phone. So I thought, oh, wow, yeah, okay, she, she does. So she goes, okay, here's a number, I want you to dial it. So she keeps the thing down and she's put her finger in it and she doesn't know which way to turn it. So she keeps going left and right, left and right. I think maybe she took half an hour to try and work out how to dial a number. And at no point did she lift the receiver. So she dials a number after half an hour, then she picks the receiver up. She goes, it's, going, it's got a dialing tone. I said, you. Anyway, so last week we basically covered the lesson. Obviously, we went into a lot of detail talking about the different kind of things. In summary, within 10 seconds, there is no difference between the male prayer and the female prayer. Okay, see how I save you time? Amazing. Honestly. So there's literally no difference, no evidence for that. Um, and there was a number of questions, for, of course, that people asked. And you can go into last week's lesson and see the questions and the answers to that there as well. Uh, but in principle, um, I want you to understand that, uh, you know, some people might get confused. And um, by the fact that virtually every faqih, faqih is saying that you should, uh, uh, the women should have some kind of difference. They should introduce differences into their prayer. And they suggested these particular ones. This kind of closing one's body down, this not raising the hands, yani like this, not keeping the arms to the side, in ruku, you know, not doing like this, but keeping it like that, in sajda being like a ball, etc., etc. Um, and uh, these ideas are coming from a, uh, an overall principle of trying to protect modesty. Okay? And the scholars, some people were saying, how is it possible for people to be actually, you know, suggesting these kind of ideas and uh, the, uh, the hadith being so clear? Well, in actual fact, the hadith are not so clear. The hadith says, pray the same, but that's, that establishes a baseline. Then, after the hadith have established a baseline, 
if you're starting to think about things, then you can and you put a logical argument forward that, well, you know what, men and women are different. Men and women cover differently. Men and women pray, uh, uh, have separate rules in the prayer. Okay, so we covered that. For example, in the, leaning, in the leading of the prayer we talked about, we spoke about um, how to correct an imam, etc. That's different. And the, the speaking out loud, that's different. And the, the line location, that's different. Best lines are the fir first ones for men, worst ones for women, etc. Et so there's clearly differences. So it's not, you know, people are like, why did the four imams all agree? Actually, it's not a big leap of faith yani, for them to put that idea forward. The hadith do not clearly prohibit a certain way of praying for women. Our position, which is the position of the people of hadith, is that this is the big issue. And if the Prophet ﷺ did want to have a difference, then he would have pointed that out. And in all the details that he did point out, he didn't point these facts out. And so therefore, it's not established. So, um, uh, and the, the learning point is this is that we will not make a big issue of this. We're not going up to our mothers and our grandmothers and our aunties and saying you're all praying wrong, okay? Because this is from the ishtihadat of the ulama. It's our ishtihad as well. What they have come with makes sense, but what we have come with makes sense and we have the safety of the evidence as well. And we believe that we are right with the possibility of them being wrong, etc., etc. And they also vice versa. So it's a, an interesting point, a famous one, and it's not without basis. Um, and I think we should also mention that, yes, it's true, it is true, and we should take seriously when any of the four schools agree on a point, okay? It might have seemed that we have kind of like discarded that, but we're not discarding it. It's just that in this particular case, it can be argued that the evidence on the, on the alternative on the other side is stronger. But yes, as a rule of thumb, in the absence of evidence, in the absence of evidence, if the four imams, and ultimately they're only men, it's not like yani, they are blessed in a legislative sense, they are blessed in that the Ummah has accepted them. We have accepted them. As opposed to Allah and His Messenger giving them a 100% certification, you must follow these four schools. So, yani, they are actually just men with their own opinions. However, when they do agree on a point, we do take it seriously, right? And we use it certainly in personal practice. And remember the golden rule. As students of knowledge, remember the golden rule. You are all students of knowledge that are much more stricter and tougher upon yourselves. And you are easy and you are flexible with the general masses and therefore if you understand this principle properly in your own religion that you do not do what the other people do you do not apply the same standards to yourself like you do the others right that's just not fair and Allah won't hold you accountable like that as well and I, I, I think we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago you'll be rewarded more but you'll be punished more as well and you have to accept that it comes with the territory but your iman also has a higher level and you get a higher amount of benefits from that too. So, you know, it's the rough with the smooth. And for yourself, at a personal practice level, if you saw the four imams say something and, you know, uh, in a specific matter, trying to indicate some advice in, in a certain thing, like to maybe, for example, indicate something is disliked, then at the personal level, you would consider that to be very, very serious. At the personal level. At the public level, maybe you're answering a fatwa or giving a response to someone, you wouldn't make it a legislative point to them because you're trying to be easy upon them. Those people who are serious in their religion, they would consider that to be something very serious. This, is, this particular issue is not about disliked or not liked. These four imams, they considered that this is the way a woman should pray, not about liked or disliked. This is what they, they felt and this was their argument and we put ours forward. And I want you to know that, by the way, don't just think that it was the four schools that agreed. Of course not. It's the four imams that, that had this position with slight differences. Major, major imams in the madhahib themselves of every madhab have, have disagreed with this point. 
All right, so there's no consensus. Don't for a second think that this is an ijma issue. No, we just stick to what we've been saying technically. The four imams and the four schools, they generally hold this position. Right, so that's the actual end. If you bring it down to the end, Shaz, uh, the, the, the Arabic says um, of this particular uh, se section, وَالْمَرْأَةُ مِثْلُهُ لَكِنْ تَضُمُّ نَفْسَهَا وَتُسْدِلُ رِجْلَيْهَا فِي جَانِبِ يَمِينِهَا Come down. So this is the last statement of the set of notes that says women pray the same way except that they collect in their bodies towards themselves and they slide their feet underneath to the right when sitting. So what you've just had, this is the last lesson on the description of the prayer. We started that now one, two years ago on the physical description of the prayers from the preparation starting Allahu Akbar and then going. By the way, if you haven't seen last week's lesson, the other thing I did was I read the entire section out, actually, I just remembered. So I did the entire prayer, like the whole one, two years, we summed it up in about, I think about seven or eight minutes. Yeah. So if you want to go back and get a reminder of that, that's actually useful as well. We read the whole thing and maybe I'm even demonstrated it, maybe I, I can't remember. But uh, the... Uh, and that is a section, the next, we now have a new section, it's not a major section, we're still in the description of the prayer or aspects of the prayer, but it's a subsection that we will cover, but it will be towards the end of the lesson if we get there, because Sheikh Uthameen, he raises a point. He says, after covering uh, this, uh, after this, he goes, هَذَا, and this is his final statement, this is at the top of page 220 of the commentary, so therefore, we can conclude, conclude that the, uh, the woman is the same as the man with respect to how they perform the prayer. The author has now finished. May Allah have mercy upon him. Describing the actual nature of the prayer. However, may Allah have mercy upon him. He did not mention anything about what is mentioned after the salah. And... The reason for that is because this is a brief summary. It's only a little kind of essay, and it is actually. It's very tiny, the actual text for this, all right? And he goes, to be honest, everyone needs to know what you need to do after the prayer. And so I'm going to share a few points. And so he uses one, two, three, four pages uh, discussing effectively what we know as the adhkar, okay? And he mentions a few points, and I think it's important for us to box it off as well. So he says again at the top of page 220, he, go, he goes, so as soon as he gives the taslim, all right, you should all now know, okay, we say in English, uh, you know, he gives salams, all right, but its word is taslim, all right, so from salam yusallimu taslim and assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, he should say astaghfirullah three times, and astaghfirullah is that Arabic uh, 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 conjunction where you make or you seek when you have the ist. At the beginning, and the alif, seen, and ta, you put that in any single Arabic verb, it means you are seeking that verb. So you are seeking maghfira. Astaghfirullah, you are seeking maghfira from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A atlubul maghfira min Allah. Wa inna ma shuri'a lil insani, lil insani su'al maghfira ba'da ada'a hadi la ibadah al-adhima, li anna ha jadiratun bil i'tina wal ihtimam. The Prophet Sheikh Uthameen alayhi rahmatullah, he's saying that, and just from an, a logical point of view, it makes complete sense that you would uh, make istighfar not only after such a great act of worship that you put forward, 
but also one which requires a lot of focus and a lot of yani, concern because it's a major one, major obligation, and obviously possibilities of mistakes as well. Okay? It's an irony as well. I mean, it's a great opportunity to make dua. Remember, we've been covering this all the way through for the last few years, that the system of ibadah in Islam is really straightforward. You give to Allah, you take from Allah. You, you give what He wants most, which is His worship, which is His tawheed, which is fulfilling the obligations, that's what he loves most. You just do this bare minimum, okay? And then you can ask them for whatever you want. You can feel justified in asking for whatever you want. You feel comfortable in asking for whatever you want. So when you put the salah forward, which is the greatest of all acts of worship, bam, okay? Then you ask for whatever you want. And the most, and, and the most important of these kind of things is <coughs> al-maghfirah, all right? And seeking istighfar was something that the Prophet sallallahu used to do regularly. In one hadith, 70 times, one uh, hadith, more than 70 times, another hadith, 100 times, another hadith, more than 100. So we know that with these four strongest of the narrations of Maghfirah, that is many times a day that he's making istighfar. And it's not just some mindless statement on the tongue, but something which he's reflecting upon his situation, about his deficiency as he perceived it, and what he could have done better, and what, could, what could, he could have done more, and what he didn't do enough of. And he's always thinking like that, which means that all of us should be in this constant state of actually reflecting, 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 auditing ourselves, and then making sure that we do it right, or we make ourselves right with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So after salah, seeking istighfar, Three times is a sunnah that has been established in the hadith that is narrated by Thawban. By Thawban, radiallahu anhu, he said that uh, this hadith narrated by Imam Muslim in the chapter of the recommendation of dhikr after the prayer, hadith number 591. He said that the Messenger of Allah, when he would uh, finish from his prayer, he would seek istighfar three times and then he would say, Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakta dhal jalali. Wal ikram in this particular narration. In another narration, in uh, uh, which is also also authentic, you know that he says, "Ya al jalali wal ikram." And you're about to be introduced to the concept that there are a number of different narrations for the various adhkar that you do, and we should be okay with as many variations as possible, not just from a knowledge point of view, but from a practice point of view, because we've established in this lesson, all of you know, that when any act of ibadah or dhikr or dua is narrated in differing forms and they are authentic then they are to be utilized yani, in a random fashion in order to keep that act of worship alive and present and fresh. It's not just something to you know, know theoretically, you actually mention it. Right, so um, the uh, Sheikh mentions a few points and I want to also mention a few points as well. Uh, the, the first is that, is there something that's meant to be done loud? You know, you sometimes hear the Imam go, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. You know, sometimes you hear it. And um, Sheikh Uthameen is indicating that this is the first thing that is done. And the Hadith Muslim indicates that. Because the Prophet ﷺ said, sarafa. Ida is a word when he, and it indicates like soon as, right? So soon as he finished from the prayer, he then made istighfar. What is something that you see quite regularly done in mosques or by Imams or by Muslims? Hmm? Some muttering, yeah. But it's something that you are hearing quite, quite a lot, especially in, well, not especially, but yeah, certain masajid. All people, immediately after. Dua? Takbir, yeah. What do you hear about the takbir? They say it straight after, yeah. And they say, Allahu Akbar, quite immediately, you will hear that, all right? 
Now, I want to say that although this isn't the place to go into a deep dive, okay, because it is actually a deep issue and a difference of opinion, um, you could say that this is more practiced in contemporary times than it has been historically. You could also say that this is the, this is the, the kind of the safe position of the, uh, the people of Hadith uh, in a light way. And certainly in a modern day fashion, it's the way of the people of contemporary kind of knowledge. Uh, Jamiat Ali Hadith, for example, the Pakistani kind of uh, group and so on and so forth. They're very popular or they find this position very popular. They're very comfortable with this position. However, more traditional scholars and those from the Madahib, they're not so hot on this position uh, about making this takbir in this way. So uh, for those who are growing up in those circles, this is a very prominent reality. The Imam will say, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Allahu Akbar, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah. And you hear that. If you're in any one of their masajid, everybody will kind of saying it's a real kind of echo, real kind of uh, event. And we know that the Prophet ﷺ, we know that, that there's a hadith, which is sahih. Uh, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said that we knew that the Prophet's prayer was finished because we would hear the takbir after the prayer. Okay? That's the hadith. Now, that hadith, they literally took it as that. That it's like an indication that the prayer is finished. Does that make sense? So you hear, Salaamu Alaikum Warahmatullah, Salaamu Alaikum Warahmatullah, Allahu Akbar. And you'll see that many people will then do that as an indication, whether praying by, praying by themselves or praying a lot, uh, praying by the con with the congregation. That's the narration. All right? Now, the majority of scholars, they made ta'wil of this hadith. And I have to say that from when I was a young, young, young student of knowledge, I only ever saw this hadith in the way that the majority see it. And not like yani, my, my teachers did, and not like so many scholars do today, and that is to say Allahu Akbar. And this is going back to the basic principle that there are certain things in Islam, or in life, or in practice, that if they really were what they were, I want to see the books full of this action. All right? We spoke about this when we spoke about the movement of the finger. We said that, you know, there is a number of interpretations to be done over the movement of the finger. All right? And we can start piecing ideas together because the Prophet ﷺ, finger was moving. It said that, yani, we saw it raised at this time. We saw that he was holding it like this, etc., etc. All of these kind of differing opinions, they generally fall within a kind of an acceptable understanding of what the hadith might be suggesting. But when you start doing this behavior, okay, that needs a little bit more. I want more, not just one person saying that, Right? This, by the way, is not, it's not like nonsensical because if I say to you that the Prophet ﷺ said that this, your finger is harder upon the shaitan than being beaten with iron or steel, then why wouldn't you, you know, whack the life out of him? Yeah, You would. And you'd be, you know, get in there. And obviously scholars later on, they went further. They said that this is something which is not just uh, uh, something against shaitan, but also a way of making dua as well. Yani Ibn Qayyim wrote a lot about actually this finger and that it would, yani when he, Allahumma, Allahumma, Allahumma salli, you know, like this, yani emphasis and focus and so on. So this, I don't want you to just think that this is baseless. I'm not making fun of this. But what I'm saying is that if the Prophet is doing this, then the companions are doing this. And if the companions are doing this, then I'm expecting hundreds upon hundreds of narrations that will speak about this kind of movement. Not a single one. Not a single one. So I don't have the confidence to move my finger like this, even though I accept that it's a possibility of the interpretation of the evidences. Likewise, if our Prophet ﷺ is saying, 
Allahu Akbar in this kind of clear manner, like you see practice today, in this moment, in this volume, in this singular independent way, the companions, major ones are going to pick up on that. We're not seeing the hadith to illustrate that. Now, I want to make it clear that there is also not a basis for to say that lack of... This is, a, this is for, again, for the more advanced ones of you or those who are, want to take this further. Usulul fiqh, when you study it, will teach you that um, lack of narration or lack of narrating does not, does not equal lack of happening. Right? Adam al-wurud, Adam al-wujud. For example, that the... Um, the fact that a scholar or a companion didn't narrate it does not, legally speaking, uh, necessitate that it didn't actually happen. Because at the end of the day, it's still a personal decision to decide to narrate something. So we are not going to ignore this point. So, you know, we wouldn't use this and say, there you go, I've just destroyed your argument, end of, where are the narrations? Um, the only way to negate that has to be a hadith that negates it. Is that, is that what I'm saying? So we're not going to go that far. But we are going to say, I, fair enough, I accept your argument, but I don't think it's the correct position because if I thought that it wasn't, I want to see another 100 hadith or another 10 or another 15. I want to see it spread amongst the companions. I want to, I want to. Like the Jalsa to Istiraha. The Jalsa to Istiraha is the what? The seating for rest or whatever you want to call it. This is the one that you, Jalsa means to sit, Istiraha means to, uh, ist, we just covered today, ist, Istighfar, yes? Ist, istiraha means to seek what? Raha, yeah? You just break the word up. So, ist, ighfar, okay? The, 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 the maghfirah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, seeking it, istiraha, to seek the raha. To seek, to relax, to calm, to chill, to kind of get some rest. And there was an argument that the Prophet sallallahu when he did this and he was observed doing this, there's no doubt that he did it at some point, that he was getting a rest before he gets up. Now, the scholars have differed over this. The vast majority do not legislate this in the prayer. I do not legislate it in the prayer. I don't practice it. But you see a small, hardcore group of people that, are sti that stick to it and they consider this to be an actual sunnah. And, you know, um, you'd think to yourself that if this was our argument, our argument is that um, if this was a sunnah, then we'd see it so much more narrated. We'd see the yani, companions do it. We'd see any of the four imams yeah, on it, uh, all over it. But we don't, but we don't, but we don't. However, it definitely happened. So we're like, okay, it's easy to explain it away as it happened once, or it's permissible, or, it, yeah, or maybe he was tired that day, or maybe there was some pain, or whatever, whatnot. I don't know how you're going to explain away that Abdullah ibn Umar used to follow it and did it for another 30 years after the death of the Prophet He didn't consider it to be an injury he considered it to be a sunnah, an act of worship. Okay? And this, of course, is the most difficult skill. I mean, we've been studying this now for, what, seven, eight years now? Okay? And the reason this class is going slow and we're covering the evidences is to make sure that as students of knowledge, we learn these difficulties so that we appreciate knowledge and that we are easy upon other people and their, their positions. Right? We understand their differences. We are going to make excuses for them before we condemn them because we understand how difficult it is to come to the truth on something. It's the most difficult, well not the most, it's one of the most difficult things as a scholar to try to work out whether something is specific to the Prophet or whether something is happening randomly by the Prophet like not legislative, or something is leg legislative. Like another example is the muttering of the Prophet 
We know clearly that the companion said that we knew that he was reciting X, Y, Z because they overhear Maliki. So, here's the thing. Is this the Prophet ﷺ just in the flow? And when you're in the flow, everybody knows you automatically, you know, depending upon emotions, you will emphasize some things. So that's, was it just one of those? Was it the Prophet ﷺ Picking up on some people's anxiety, X, Y, Z, whatever, whatnot, wants to let them know where he's got to, to kind of, you know, I mean, nearly there. Possible. Was the Prophet ﷺ establishing a sunnah? That it is from the sunnah to indicate in the prayer roughly what you're saying. I've got to put my hand up and show the lack of consistency here in that I believe that, that, that third position. And I've practiced that for donkey's years and I still practice it. If I lead the prayer in the silent prayers, or in any of the, the quiet ones, I, I do this. And that's because I, for my, for, my, for my money, I cannot find a rational reason why the Prophet ﷺ would do this other than that it's an act of worship. You get my point? I could easily be refuted on that. But look at the point we're discussing. We're trying to determine whether one-off, very, very rarely narrated incidents are big sunnah acts. They're significant acts to follow. Does that all make sense? Yeah. So... Uh, having said all of that then, I hope that you get my point that therefore I do not, along with the majority of scholars, consider that a person either says Allahu Akbar, let alone is the first thing, let alone that is said loud. What's our interpretation? The hadith of Abdullah bin Abbas, I believe is in Bukhari, okay? So there's no dis uh, disputing its authenticity, uh, the asr I should say. Um, and... Uh, it being said straight after and the word Allahu Akbar and me not saying it straight after and not saying Allahu Akbar is us understanding Allahu Akbar. Any ideas? Um, so the brother said for the, for the sake of everybody who didn't hear him, was this a sajda sahu? Uh, it's difficult to, 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 to be that because Abdullah ibn Abbas very clearly said we knew that the prayer had finished as a result of that. He, uh, meaning that he would come in, he was talking more in the context of that I've arrived late from being outside. I don't think that it's uh, sajda sahu. Wallah, I mean, it's possible, but I doubt it. Any other ideas? How do you interpret this hadith? How else could it be interpreted? So, so frankly, a lot of people just couldn't interpret it, interpret it any other way, and that's why they do it. Our position is, is that, the, uh, that we take two lessons from it. One, that it's a sunnah to increase your volume in making dhikr. Two, Allahu Akbar is a generic phrase meaning dhikr. Alright? So, even like in cultural, you know when we say Allahu Akbar karoyani, you know? <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean say Allahu Akbar. It means, you know, damdurud, you know? Bit of, no, Lala, no, <laughs> no, but we're not, we're not. No one's going to support me on that. But Adam Durud. In the salah, you mean bad salah? Yani, takes it in the in the Somalia. They say Allah Akbar Kabira. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, so in any case, 
this is what we say ismul jins yani meaning that this is a uh, this is the word which is indicating the genus of dhikr as opposed to the actual takbir itself this is our interpretation right and you might say that's baseless yes it would be baseless if there was not a thousand other hadith showing Allahu Akbar said it three times, Allahumma anta salam being said three times, la ilaha illallah wa being said afterwards, it would be baseless without those hadith. In the presence of all those hadith, it's quite understandable that Allahu Akbar will be referring to those 33. Allahu Akbar is referring to the general things in, 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 a, in, in a general sense. That Allahu Akbar being said by Ibn Abbas is referring to all forms of dhikr. This is our interpretation. How do we get around the loud part? Like I just said that therefore the dhikr should not be completely silent. Now, I have, I've conceded to that point. If you go to the vast majority of mosques, you don't hear any form of dhikr said out loudly, right? And that's why in uh, a lot of the modern day Hanbalis, they've kind of come to like a, a middle position. So they might not say Allahu Akbar, right? They might not say Allahu Akbar after the salah, but you will hear them say, وَمِنْ كَالسَّلَامِ تَلْعَرَكِ يَادَ الْجَلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ لَا إِلَهِ إِلَّا اللَّهُ And they will do it quite quick after the salah. And that is an indication. And if people do it, and you know what? The next time that you go to a mosque like uh, a practicing masjid in Saudi, for example, okay, you will see that there is, yani compared to your normal experience of how you know, quiet it is after the salah, there's a very clear discernible hum after the, the taslim. And that is because the scholars of the kingdom, they advise them and their position is, is that to be loud in the dhikr in a kind of 50-50 yani, you know, kind of way is a sunnah. And in actual fact, in actual fact, you know, like when I was just you know, walking down uh, here after the, I parked the car, I could hear Sheikh obviously reciting. Yep, so I know that Fatiha has started, right? When you come in and you hear silence, you know I've missed the rak'ah. These are things you pick up on, right? If I hear silence in the shoe area, I'm not rushing. If I hear any kind of recitation, I know I can be quick, I've got a chance. If I hear silence, I'm going to now relax because I know it's over. If you go into a Saudi mosque, right, and you're in the shoe area, you will be able to hear a hum and you know that the prayer is finished. I didn't need to hear Allahu Akbar. But there's a people that are doing a little bit of yani, loud voice, quiet, loud voice, quiet. And you get understanding that the jama'ah is finished. This is our interpretation. In actual fact, it's the position of the majority of scholars that it is not a single statement that was said. So anyway, I just wanted to just share that with you about the takbir. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. All right. Um, the Sheikh then continues. He goes, many, many people unfortunately are negligent with respect to seeking istighfar. Um, and about these legislated things. It's clear, he said, that the legislated things with respect to the prayer, that you, you know, dhikr, for example, that are said inside the prayer, outside the prayer, and so on. He goes, these legislated uh, acts of worship in the prayer of two types, the external and the internal. And he said that, uh, he goes that the, uh, in his opinion, the sheikh's opinion, he goes that the internal ones are the ones where people are most negligent. At least on the outside, people they have some kind of focus. You know, everybody's kind of looking at others and they're, you know, watching other people pray, themselves pray, and there's a big focus to don't move, blah, 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 blah. He goes, and even that's a disaster. Yani how many people are making mistakes day and night, day and night on the physical side, outside side, external side, let alone yani, those which are internal, those which are internal. And therefore, he goes, 
um, you know, we need to, to focus on that. He goes, and that's why shaitan is always there waiting to take advantage of your internal insecurity in the prayer or your internal negligence. And he always will remind you about things that you have forgotten. And, uh, and after the prayer, outside of the prayer, these are things you don't know until you actually come and start the prayer or maybe in a second record, we all know about this kind of thing. Your mind is kind of, I don't know what kind of zone it goes into. You suddenly start to remember all the things that you couldn't care less about yani, five minutes before. And he says, uh, that's the basis of one of the famous stories that a man came to Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, and he said to him uh, that, you know, I've uh, forgotten about, uh, or there's a person that's forgotten so-and-so, what advice can you give for him to find it? He goes, tell him to go and pray. So the man then went, wasalla. so he went and prayed and he remembered and, you know, where his thing was. And when they, uh, and he said to him, uh, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that uh, in the hadith which is narrated by Bukhari, in the chapter of forgetfulness, uh, hadith number 1231, Abu Hanifa said, didn't the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say that the shaitan will come and say to the person when he's in the, in the middle of his prayer, Udhkur kada. Yani, think about this. Remember that? What about this? What about that? These are specific things that shaitan says to a person when they're praying. So you've got to be ready, obviously, for that. That's something which person's got to be prepared for. So Abu Hanifa, he, uh, uh, <laughs> his, his istinbat, yani, was that the prayer is a place of remembering things. So, you know, if you have a problem, then just yani, go and pray a couple rakah and you're sure to yani, find it. Now, that's yani, it's obviously, it's ulta kind of, what's the word, yani? Reverse psychology. Reverse psychology or, yani, using the hadith in an ulta way, but obviously gets the job done, isn't it? Yep. So there's some advice for you. If you forget something, go and pray and you're almost definitely going to find it. And you might pick up, yani, at least a few seconds of the prayer when you want, yani, you're messing it up of some reward. Yeah, because not, we're not talking, yani, obligatory, we're talking, yani, nafal prayer. So at least you get to pray or practice praying anyway. Isn't it? So he goes, anyway, Al-Muhim, he goes, anyway, the more important thing is to just remember that to make istighfar after the salah is a really great opportunity and it fixes the uh, deficiencies of the prayer. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for وَلِهَذَا And therefore, it is, and we understand from this action of the Prophet that it is recommended to end all of our actions with istighfar. And to end his life with istighfar. That's what a person should do when they are in their last moments. And as for, as for age in general, then the Prophet that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ يَدَخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجًا فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ إِنَّهُ كَانَ تَوَّابًا And when the victory, when the help of Allah comes and the victory, uh, uh, arrives and you see the people entering into Islam in waves so then make or exalt your Lord and praise your Lord and seek forgiveness from him indeed he is the one who, see, who accepts repentance when the Prophet ﷺ recited this surah Abdullah ibn Abbas who was very young okay very very young not even teenager okay he said that this is the final moments of the messenger of Allah ﷺ. and Umar he said that we don't know of anything different other than what Ibn Abbas said. Yani exactly what you've said is exactly how we understood it as well. And then 
this obviously was confusing to many of the companions, what, what, you know, how they were understanding this, that this is the end of the Prophet And so then he then said in the hadith, خَبَّرَنِي Rabbi, That uh, my Lord informed me that I will see a sign in my ummah. I will see an, a sign in my ummah. And when uh, that happens and uh, uh, when, that I, when, when it's clear that the victory has been achieved, that the numbers that we wanted yani, have been achieved, then I increased in my saying of subhanallah wa bihamdihi, astaghfirullah wa atubu ilayh, faqad ra'aytuha. Because I saw them, because إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهُ الْفَتْحِ I saw the Nasr of Allah come, I saw the Fath, and that was the Fath Mecca. And then I saw the people entering into the religion in a white waves. And this had, so this is actually his, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's own tafsir, actual tafsir of the surah. This is in Sahih Muslim, in the chapter of the prayer, where one says in the Ruku'ah and the Sujood, hadith number 484. So when this happened, the Prophet ﷺ not only started to increase Subhanallah wa bihamdi, Subhanallah al-Azim, and he used to make istighfar a lot as well. So just generally, the, the, the lesson is that istighfar comes at the end of good deeds, istighfar comes towards the end of anything, especially towards the end of one's life. Alright, then after al-istighfar, one should say, Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam tabarakta yad al-jalali wal-ikram. And this hadith is narrated in... Uh, uh, Sahih Muslim 592 and this can be translated it's difficult to translate translate this to be honest um, oh Allah you are the source of peace and peace comes from emanates from you and you are blessed O oh owner uh, uh, of majesty O oh owner of honor and the uh, the relevance of this Sheikh says وَالْمُنَاسَبَةُ فِي هَذَا ظَاهِرَةُ he goes that this is relevant to say right now because you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to secure your prayer, to make it safe because of course security and safety and these are words which are linked to peace because they bring a state of peace, right? And so fix my prayer, put myself at ease, put my mind at ease, uh, make my prayer يعني, uh, safe from any kind of rejection and that it cannot that it be that it's not accepted by by you so um so sheikh says yani subhanallah what a profitable thing to say and the reason i'm mentioning this is because frankly many many people get up immediately after their prayer yep and many 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 people and i mean obviously there's a famous uh and it's super irritating when you see people do that i mean super super irritating but it's just the fact that you miss out on something which the Prophet uh, emphasized so much. I mean, dhikr in general. The Prophet said that the one who makes dhikr and doesn't make dhikr is like the dead to the living. I mean, you can't get more stark difference. One person's switched on, the other person's dead. Heart's dead, everything's dead. The ones who don't remember Allah and consider it to be important. But also, يعني, even a little bit is required. Some people get up and uh, this is obviously a famous narration. Uh, that's one of the companions. There's difference over who it is. But anyway, he did get up. Yeah, and, he, and he could be for just changing position. We still don't know. Unfortunately for him, it was Umar who was leading the prayer. So he turns around and sees yani, my man get up. And he's like, not even Allahumma anta salama minka salam. Wala Allahumma anta salama minka salam. That's literally what he said to him. Not even that, yani. you couldn't have said that before you get up. So it's important for us to just, yani, you know, just enjoy that moment, revel in that moment. And I'll tell you one thing. You know, uh, uh, 
the one thing which I noticed, um, you know, when people gauge the practicingness of community and society, yep, you know, when you're talking about the dawah. In the 90s, when I grew, when I grew up, when I started practicing, right, I cannot forget that every single person would keep a copy of their book of uh, adhkar or dhikr with them, like everyone, and they would pull it out, and they would study it, and they would read from it until they memorized it. It was it was a, it was a process that everybody went through. All right, doesn't matter what level you were, even if you were students or you were what, everyone would do it. And then once they would, had got it done on lockdown, then that's it. You expect them to be pulling it out for a couple of months, and then you know you could see that you know people have moved on to the next stage because they're not pulling out their books anymore. Yeah, it was just a done thing, right? Now, obviously, no one using their books anymore. People have got apps and whatever, whatnot. But you don't see anybody reading. I mean, I, I you know, I've still been coming to the masjid, still the same kind of crowd. I would say that there's generally less younger people anyway, but that doesn't mean that the percentage should have dropped. The percentage has dropped. Dramatically, there are far less people making dhikr after salah. People immediately get up and they don't realize just how, how beneficial a thing that they are throwing away, how important it is, just not for your own time, for your own time. It also, it also instills discipline because everybody knows what you want to do. Everybody knows you want to get into your car and pull out your phone. Everybody knows that you want to just get home and get back to the game. Everybody knows you want to just go and have a chat with your friend or whatever. Everybody knows that, and there's no doubt in all of these three scenarios, they're more fun and exciting than what you're about to do now. So if you decide actively not to do that, and you, you sit there for five, ten minutes, do, going through the full cycle, istighfar, Allah salam, la ilaha illallah, one time or three times or ten times according to this prayer that you're praying, the ikhlas and falaq uh, and nas, three times in Maghrib and Fajr each, or one time ayatul kursi, and then going into 33s and 33s and 34s and the variations of that we're going to come to. That's a ten-minute job, by the way. I'm telling you straight. I'm amazed how quickly people do it. I'm not even talking about da 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 da. I mean, just generally, it's a, it's a, it's just weird that people are not seeing the value in this. Um, and you are developing that skill. I mean, at what other point are you going to be able to sit there? Because people think that they're going to go to a place and make dhikr, you know. In um, but people aren't that 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 quality. Uh, you know, this interview that I told you about that we did with Sheikh uh, uh, Abdul Rashid Ali Sufi be out soon in about a week's time or maybe a few days time inshallah and I was, I've been watching it obviously we've been editing it and I'm going through it in real killer detail and um, I asked the sheikh you know uh, you know as you do Desert Island Discs yep let's see any favorite subject okay you know what tune would you no I didn't say that I said that if you were on a desert island though what, what would it take? Uh, what do you want to go there for <laughs> so I said to him that if you were Yani, you know, alone on an island, right? And, you know, he's a Mazaki kind of guy. He's not like Yani, he's, you know, Mr. Religious, like uh, Usman or something, yeah? He's, you know, he's, he's a chiller. So I said to him, you know, what would you do? And he sat there and, you know, thinking of all this kind of crazy stuff. And we, this is, by the way, if you're thinking that he doesn't know about how to enjoy himself, this is after we've spoken about food and Rolls Royces and all the rest of it. And he goes, to be honest, he goes, I'd make dhikr. And you know what? You know that any of us, if we say that, it would be like, yeah, whatever. But you know he's right, though. You know he's true. Yeah, and he, you know that that's actually what he would do. That is actually what he would enjoy. You know. So, you know, there are certain people that reach that state, and it's not impossible. It's not, oh, that's a prophet. So, no, no, no. That is what yeah, and people should re relax to. Allah says that. Is it not indeed only in dhikr 
that the hearts find rest. That is the proper chilling. That's what you're properly going to do, right? But the people who get bored of it is because people have made other things more exciting. That's it. For them, it's more, you know. So again, whether it's TV or internet or the phone, we find that more entertaining to us than the classical things that people used to be obsessed with. We are addicted and obsessed with these. And back in the day, they used to be, yani, uh, you know, uh, Sheikh uh, uh, Ahmed al-Masrawi, the great yani, uh, Qari, the great scholar of the Quran, one of his great, great gems that he will take to his grave and it will never die, this statement, is that he said that, um, I only realized, I only, let me get it right. Okay, I'm going to paraphrase because uh, I can't remember the exact uh, wording. But I think he said something along the lines of, I only realized how much the Salaf used to love the Quran, the Sahaba and the early generations used to love the, Quran, the love the Quran and how addicted they were to the Quran when I saw the youth and how they, and the youth meaning today's people, so that's yani from kids to 50 years old, okay, how addicted they are to their phones because the books only talk about this level of obsession, yani when talking about the Salaf and they, how they were with the Quran, that they couldn't put it down. They would never put it down. They were with it all the time. I want you to imagine that the way that you pull out your phone to check things and to look at things and to, uh, you know, or, and to maybe do about uh, mid-reading, like five minutes, and then some long reading and watching, imagine that you are actually pulling out a Mus'af each time. Imagine. That's the easiest way of putting it. He goes that... I only realized that how much they loved it because obviously with the people who do it now, they do it because they love it. It's like the most important thing in, the, in life. They're addicted to it, which means they are, you know, without it, they're like, it's like life is over, right? And so that would indicate, and so instead of criticizing, what I liked about it is that he didn't, well, what I liked about him, I wouldn't yeah, be this nice, but he doesn't criticize the, the youth. He's taking the lesson from that and saying, only after seeing their addiction did I realize how addicted the Salaf were to the Qur'an. Now, I put this to Sheikh, by the way, in the interview as well. I said to him that, in fairness, you know, I also came from a generation where I started memorizing and learning when, although, no, no, that's not right, but uh, I had a mobile phone um, very early, uh, uh, whilst I was a teenager. But obviously at that time, it wasn't giving you anything other than text messages and stuff, right? So it wasn't whatever. Um, it was far easier to do things and not have to worry about the phone. And in the presence of the phone, it's a million times more difficult. And uh, Sheikh Yani, he made it, uh, you know, he made, he made it his point. He goes that there are people out there uh, that are so disciplined when it comes to something that they want. He goes that if people want something truly, truly, that they will do it whatever is in front of them, even the most addictive thing of, of all history, which is all this power that's in the hand of any human being, like unlimited power, the ability to know and research absolutely anything. So, you know, it's about how focused you are. So, um, he goes, Sheikh says, come on man, sort it out, sort it out. Then Sheikh says, after this, he says whatever is narrated from dhikr. And there's so much which is narrated from dhikr. Now, after this, he said, yeah? He said, Astaghfirullah, yeah? He said, then say Allahumma salam, yeah? 
He's indicating an order. So he makes a clear point because he realizes that he's gone a bit too far. He goes, istighfar. He goes, by the way, as for this concept of order and the statement of Allahumma anta salam minka salam after istighfar. So he's making it clear that the first thing that he said is istighfar. He's comfortable with that. The hadith indicates that as well. But he goes, but as for the order of what comes afterwards, especially me saying Allahumma anta salam, then there's not a single hadith which indicates that. There is not a sunnah in the concept of dhikr. There is, no, there is no sunnah when it comes to the order of dhikr. Only that astaghfirullah comes first. As for whether you want to say ayatul kursi first, whether you want to say Allahumma anta salam first, whether you want to do subhanallah 33 times first, then all of this is permissible because there is no hadith which indicates the order. Okay? Um, and actually, Sheikh says something actually more accurate. Sorry. I, I, he says that I don't know of a sunnah in this. He didn't say there's no sunnah. He goes, I don't know of any sunnah with respect to the order, which is a humility statement and indicates that maybe there's something out there. I certainly don't. And if Sheikh doesn't, then I'm happy with that. All right. And so he goes, that if personally any sometimes, you know, mixes up the order, there's no problem with that. Um, the most important thing is that a person really, really and focus on this. And this is including tasbih and tahmeed and takbir. Tasbih is to say, Subhanallah. Tahmeed, Alhamdulillah. Takbir, Allahu Akbar. There are a number of ways of doing this. Okay, get ready, all right, for those who are taking notes. There are a number of ways that are of doing this. The most famous of them and the most well known hadith narrated by Imam Muslim, hadith number 597, and that is to say, Subhanallah 33 times, and Alhamdulillah 33 times, and then Allahu Akbar 33 times, and then the, uh, he completes it by saying, La ilaha illallah, wahdahu la sharika la, lahul mulku wa lahul hamd. That then makes it a hundred. Maybe it's not fair for me to say that's the most popular. I think popular is that Yeah? Yeah, okay. i probably take that back. From a hadith point of view, by the way, this is as strong. Um, yeah, I'm comfortable that this is stronger than any other person from a hadith point of view. But I think from the masses, I think 33, 33, 34, yeah? Okay, which is good because we're going to come to that in a second. But I want you to... Just uh, know, and actually, let me just complete all the all the options. The second way of doing this: Subhanallah, thirty-three times; Alhamdulillah, thirty-three times; Allahu Akbar, thirty-four times. That also makes one hundred. This hadith is narrated by Muslim as well, five hundred and ninety-six. The third way of doing it: Subhanallah, ten times; Alhamdulillah, ten times; Allahu Akbar, ten times. Total thirty. Hadith narrated by Imam Ahmed. Uh, hadith number 200 and, uh, uh, sorry, uh, volume 2, hadith number 160. And narrated by Imam Daw Abu Dawood as well, hadith number 5065. And narrated by Imam Tirmidhi as well. And he said, hadith Hassan, sahih. Inshallah, this hadith is authentic. Okay? And then the, the fourth version of saying this is... Subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, 25 times. And therefore, this will then total 100. Because if you do 25, because if you say subhanallah, walhamdulillah, wa la ilaha illallah, wallahu akbar, then there are four words in there, okay? Tahleel, by the way, is the other one. La ilaha illallah, tahleel. So this is four times 25, 100, okay? And this has been narrated 
by Imam Ahmed as well and by Imam al-Nasai and this hadith number in the Imam by Imam al-Nasai is 1351. Imam al said, This is an authentic hadith. Now, again, as we said before, Shaykh says, That these differences are intended for you to use each one individually when you want to. So when you're down on time, for example, then you use the 10-10-10 version. Straightforward and, and nice and easy. And if you've got lots of time, then you do the one that takes longer. All right. Now, the, uh, I want to say that it is not an absolute necessity to have to use your fingers, but it is the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ to use the fingers. And the Prophet ﷺ, now, he would make dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with his right hand. And we all know that. Most narrations and most authentic narrations indicate that. Now, a number of the scholars consider another hadith which also says the left to be weak. It'd be, it'd be fair to say that the majority of hadith scholars consider the narration of the left to be weak. They said because it is shad. Shad means it's odd. Odd is what you say when we have 10 narrations, 12 narrations that only mention each different hadith, the right hand, the right hand, the right hand, the right hand. Then one comes and pops along and it says the right and the left. And what scholars will normally do is they'll try to reconcile. But if they find no way of reconciling, then they will eventually then come to that regrettable decision where they'll have to consider the hadith to be weak, even though from the outside it doesn't actually seem weak. And that's why this is called the science of al-ilal. Ilal, plural of illa, the hidden faults in hadith. That which looks okay from the outside, but from the inside, when you start comparing things and whatever, there's something that just doesn't sit right. And this is a skill of the very serious scholars. Now, the reason I go into that detail is to say that actually this hadith is not so weak. And that's why I know that you see lots of packs always doing the standard, you know, they go all the way across and end on their uh, left hand. And you might think this is the biggest yani, haram of all harams. It's not. There are a number of scholars that consider the hadith to be uh, acceptable. And therefore, we wouldn't yani, hate on those that are doing it. Is it though the sunnah? It doesn't seem so. The vast majority of hadith indicate that it's the right. It makes the logical sense. He would always love the right hand in the good things. He would always put the right forward and the left he would, <coughs> he would relegate for the cleaning and all that kind of stuff. And so no, the logic and the hadith and the strength indicates right hand and that's what we practice and what we teach. However, we're not going to write off as you know heretics as those who use the left hand. Okay? We're not going to. As well, this is a way of, uh, of counting. It, there is not a clear sunnah in using each part and having to go in a certain way. It's not, yani, what I mean, is no, it's not indisputable that there's only one way. All right? uh, the, the, the hadith indicate using the finger joints and so that's something which is okay. But for example, if a person started off and then they had to get up or they were using a counter or something like that, there's some space for that especially if they keep forgetting or some kind of problem. There's some space for that. But there's no doubt it's better to rely on one's fingers, relying on one's own hands. And you know what? I also want to say something, that it is important, you know, for the last, for the last five days, I've been wanting to write something, okay, about technology. And I start the first word and something happens, and then I come back to it at 12 o'clock every night, either on my phone or on my desktop, and I just can't seem to write it. Right, And I mean, it's not necessarily to do this, but it does come back to my mind that 
you know, in an age of so much ease because of technology, we are in big, big danger of forgetting actually what Islam is built upon, which is the physical, which is the real, which is human interaction, which is presence, which is on-site learning. You know, it's a, it's a big thing, all right? There's many aspects of it that we need to really reflect over, okay? And one of these, for example, is, you know, uh, remember Lala, we was in uh, Mataf, in the Tawaf? And, uh, you know, people uh, nowadays, you've got, when you go in like, Turkish airlines, they'll give you that little ring thing, right? I mean, back in the day, you spit that big whole flipping golf ball, duck, duck, duck one, yeah? <laughs> now it's that, um, you know, counter, that's counter I'm talking about. Now it's little ring thing, which uh, works. Now, there's not a single person on this planet who needs it more than myself. Because I have never, to this day, been able to work out what Tawaf I'm on. Always, and I'm always going, and I'm always doing eight or nine or something like that because I'm just so scared. I, I always mess it up, and I'm always asking other people, How many have you done? How many have you done? I don't care. I'm doing all these calculations. Yeah, and he, you know, he's doing half a step to my one step, so this, that, whatever. And so then I'm, you know, gauging myself, you know, where's he? That it's a mess, and I need that. But I'm not going to go there because once I go down that line, Mr. Optometrist and Mr. Yani Eye Specialist, just like you don't put glasses on when your vision is bad because it makes the eyes weak. I don't care. I'm going to believe that. I don't care how many doctors think that that's nonsense. I know it's not. It's not. It's true. Okay? Make your eyes work harder and don't let the glasses do the uh, work for you. Build those muscles. And Yani Devil. <laughs> He's literally having a heart attack. He's literally having a heart attack. But anyway. Because what? You don't think I want to put the glasses on? You don't think I want to see everything in HD and 4K? Yara Qasim say, I'm telling you. I will put those glasses on. I'll enjoy those five minutes. And then for two days, I can't see anything. I do not put those glasses on for weeks and weeks. I can see everything in SD. And I'm all right with that. And then I'm gone. Finished. Glasses. Lala, I've got glasses. I don't mind doing the whole glasses thing. Huh? Vanity. What? The, the, the glasses? I've been wearing, wearing glasses for 20 years, bro. I'm not vain. Well, not on Fridays, but I mean, you know. But no, no problem with that. It's the fact that you, you just become so dependent upon them. Oh, come on, Lala. Don't be talking all evidences and things like that. You know what I mean? We're not interested in evidences, bro. Yeah? You heard that? Lala, you heard that? There is evidence for what I am saying. No evidence you can. Huh? No, there is evidence. You fish. I have, I have no <laughs> Go on, Lala, give us a summary. The brain compensates when your vision is blurred to ramp up the contrast enhancement on larger objects, not smaller. So you'll see larger objects better than you would otherwise, but the small detail will lose. No contrast will lose. So I'm right, basically. <laughs> Is what you're saying. I mean, why do you have to go all those way? This, uh, basically, I'm right. When you put your glasses on, when you've not been wearing them, then everything does look super sharp for about two hours, and then it goes back. Then it starts looking like normal. Allahu Akbar. Yes, bro. Yes, bro. That's not what you said. <laughs> Roughly, I said that. Oh, you know what? Yeah, whatevs, whatevs. So, anyway. <laughs> no, you know what it is, number plates, yeah? Yeah, never mind. Enough CCTV around, no need to worry about yeah, uh, number plates and uh, finding out who it is. Right, anyway, what are we talking about? 
Technology, yes. Yani, you know, we've got to rely upon ourselves. Anyway, I, 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 we, we've ruined the point. The point is actually a deeper point that, uh, on, on, on a very serious one. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran and in the hadith that this body will bear witness for us and against us. Not some metaphorical way, you know, like the phone is going to have a record or whatever. The angels are still not bringing up some kind of hard drive. They are writing with scrolls, with pens. There's a function to that. There is a function to the length of scrolls, of people seeing it. When you understand the Day of Judgment, you know that you've messed up. Why, do we, why are we even needing judgment? Is there any doubt that Allah is fair? None of that is in doubt. It's there to show you just how much that He covered for you. It's there to show the other people just how just He was. So there's a real function to all of these archaic, old-fashioned ideas. The limbs telling us, for example, the touch is the, t the walking, the steps towards zina is a part of zina. The eye of the, the zina of the eye is this, the zina of the tongue. These are real things that we have to control. There has to be a connection between the body and ourselves. The Prophet ﷺ said that every single morning when a person awakes, the limbs tell the body, fina, Fear Allah with respect to us. Yani because we are just majboor. You say we'll walk that way. You say don't wake up. We can't wake up. The arms and legs want to pray to Allah at Fajr time. You are the one who tells the arms and legs to stay where you are. Or I can't get up. Or X or Y. We are constantly under that fitna. Every day, the body wants to worship Allah, but the decision-making process controls everything. The limbs every day say that. The limbs are yani, walking, and the Prophet ﷺ yani, made it that every footstep is a hasana and a sayyah removed. And, 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 and. So, I think this is so important to make dhikr of your hands. People are all into you know, wearing those silly little flipping gay bracelets, you know, the dhikr bracelets. With which is like 10, 15, yes they are, you know, those little brown ones, you know, little thingy with 10, 15 of them. Yeah. Huh? What did they went for? No, no, it's not gay, no. It's not because they're gay, but they look gay. <laughs> Whatever they look like, I don't like it. Why do people wear them? It's a fashion thing, yeah? No. You know what I'm talking about, yeah? Yeah, I know, but I'm saying Muslims now, you know, the ones who like, you know, in touch with themselves, they wear... I don't care. And it's the Americans who are big on them. But not just Americans, Americans, Sufis, you know, all this kind of behavior, you know. I see them baking dhikr with it. And it's not, it's not like there's 33 on there anyway. It's like something like 10, 15 of them, and they come out and they just use it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not interested in that behavior. That's what I'm saying. The point is, is that... Dhikr beads, it's fashionable to hold them in your hand, keep them in your pocket, whatever, whatnot. I don't care about fashion. I'm not interested in the argument for it being bid'ah or not. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a complete farce. Those people who want to sit and debate whether it's a bid'ah or not. You know, you know that person who wants to debate whether this is something from Islam. They are people who don't know anything about religion. People don't know anything about Christianity. People don't even know Yani. They, they're kind of confused about what the Islamic status is. They don't re recognize that the, the Christians themselves are the ones who created rosary beads and they use it to for all their Hail Marys, the amount of times that they do it. They literally have no idea. They think that we created this. Like this is like a, a way of helping the Muslims. You literally took what their ibadah was and made it your own. There you go. Look at that. Oh, that's, just, that's what I was going to say. No, yeah, no. Listen, you've actually got it on your phone. Admit it, you didn't download that right now. Never use that. Astaghfirullah. See, yeah, listen. I said 
that me and the chief were going around in tawaf and he, tap, he taps me on the shoulder and he goes, look at that guy. And I looked at him and he was on his phone and I said, no, that's standard. No, the guy was tapping it like this, you know, like this. And then I looked at his phone and it's one of these. It's a tasbih maker on the phone. Basically, subhanAllah, subhanAllah. And you got, yeah, so you got, yeah, if you want, you know, yeah, gay version number 33, yeah, okay, then, that's what he's doing. Of course it's easier to use the fingers. It was on your phone, bro. Part of the Quran app, here we go. Ijaz has been exposed, Lala. We took him. But anyway, the point is, is that, So you can do a lot, you know that by the way. It vibrates when you finish one. You use GPS to track your you know, I don't mind that. that. That sounds okay. <laughs> vibrating in the pocket and letting you know that one, that's going to save some people. But what's all this about? Come on. I don't use this. And you got like you got the, you got the black one as well. You know the black one, the Superman one. I call it the Superman one. Superman. Super Superman. Just be. Is that what it is? Huh? No, you know Superman. Superman one. That's like old film, 1970s, but it's the most iconic scene. Is it Lex Luthor who's sitting there at the desk and he's watching the black things and he clicking click into what are those things called? Perpetual motions or whatever, whatnot. That's what that reminds me of. Anyway, this is what it's come to, man. People are becoming disconnected. They're just yeah, saying, you know what? Let's use apps and this and that, whatever. Anyway, get, get back connected to your fingers, everybody. And uh, to finish off this entire chapter, then. The Sheikh then says, So يعني, we've covered this a number of times that you must يعني, try to do this as much as possible. And he also says, and we've mentioned all the benefits of doing this dhikr, please make as much dhikr as much as possible. Use this version, that version, but just don't let it go. And also please don't forget Sayyidul Kursi because that has been narrated. Um, uh, also, uh, even though the hadith, by the way, of Ayatul Kursi is not the strongest, by the way. Okay, it's not the strongest, but still, it has. There are more supporters of it than than people who criticized it. Ibn Kathir, and he said probably the most. I don't say the most generous, because it's insulting, but the most expressive statement. He said that this hadith has a chain which is authentic according to the conditions of Bukhari, which means nothing, of course, in terms of actually if the hadith is authentic or not, because. You know, you don't just say that, because I could say that today as well, according to the conditions of Bukhari. But still, it's not the most authentic of hadith. Um, but something which is really interesting, Sheikh Uthameen says that even if it's not authentic, I think that it is a still a person is focusing on using the Qur'an and reciting regularly after the, uh, the prayer. And he goes, and especially when shaitan is having a field day, and Ayatul Kursi we know is very authentically established to take Shaitan and uh, kick him out and yani repel him and so therefore you'd use it anyway and a person who has that connection to Ayatul Kursi will recite it regularly anyway and yani he's basically trying to indicate that these general evidences are supporting the specific and yani not so strong hadith so yeah go for it full force then he also reminds us one time each after every prayer but after Salatul Fajr and Maghrib three times each and he says that if you want to study this more, then of course you should go to the specific books, which in our time is Hisnul Muslim, you know, the little black book, a little green book, yeah. But uh, those who want to go deeper, then it's Al-Adhkar, the book of remembrance by Imam al-Nawawi, which has been translated, it's available in English, okay. So you should look at that. And Al-Wabil al-Sayyib, 
which I think is translated by Ibn al-Qayyim, right? Abu Abdul Sayyib is not. Yeah? What's it called? The Invocations of God is translation of Abu Abdul Sayyib. Yeah, it is called the Invocation of God. Yeah, that's by Ibn al-Qayyim. And his sheikh said that this is also a very beneficial book because he mentioned in it the, the, the fa'idah of dhikr. And in, in actual fact, he went and mentioned over 100 benefits of making dhikr. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reward them and accept it from us. Allahumma ameen. Right, so that's the chapter. Yalla, let's go to some questions. And then let's call it a... Uh, there you go to the bottom, Lala. Right, any questions here in this class? Yes. Oh God, forget that for one second, sorry. Uh, anyone who was watching last week, uh, I said we were speaking about uh, the, the prayer of the women and, and uh, I don't know how we got onto the subject, but uh, of women. Was it Toronto or was it here? All oh, right. And so I said that hadith of the, that women will never, uh, a, a nation will not be successful when they choose their leader uh, uh, to be a woman. The nation and I spoke and I went into detail discussing the differences between the, the political sphere and the civil sphere and uh, I said that the narrator of the hadith was Abdullah ibn Amr al-As and I showed some doubt I think I did and I was right to be doubtful because the hadith is narrated by Abu Bakr uh, Nufayr ibn Harith al-Thaqafi uh, so I just got the name of the companions mixed up the rest of the story is exactly as I said but I just said Abdullah ibn Amr al-As it's not Abdullah ibn Amr, it's Abu Bakr. Just for those people who are wanting to know. Uh, and correct it for the notes as well. Mesa, make sure in the last week's lesson, you, you just take out Abdullah ibn Amr and reflect it, replace it with Abu Bakr. And the, the, the same I said last week, it's in season one of Al-Adab al-Mufrad. We covered his story and the, the, what happened between him and Mughira ibn Shu'bah in a lot of detail. Maybe lesson six or something. Episode 16 for those who are, yeah, and you got that or whatever. Alaikum salam, rahmatullah, everybody. Right, come on, come on, Lala, quickly. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Grumpy, yes, that's right. Anyone? Mesa never heard anybody in there. You know, Mesa, by the way, there's a reason for that. And that is because um, all of the masajid generally around Alberta, Edmonton, Calgary, and so on and so forth, they are not following like a Salafi fiqh or Jamiat Ali hadith don't even exist there. So you wouldn't. They are kind of very middle of the road, Ikhwan, kind of Shafi'i Masajid. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't get to hear it. That makes sense. It makes sense. Alaykum salam. Right. Hamza says, but sometimes we have very common action which has not been clearly narrated like going into sujood in prayer. Yeah, that's true. There are other things as well which happen quite a bit but not, Yani, um, uh, uh, that you know don't have clarity and that's I guess to be expe uh, uh, expected and by the way also what Hamza mentions that you know there are another other things as well that are narrated that have differences or that we don't have details over this is a blessing of course because if that wasn't the case then people would only be then having to do it one way and if you are not agreeing with that one way then there would be a lot of bid'ah, a lot of fighting a lot of whatever so this differences of opinion and interpretation is a mercy it allows us to be chill with each other. You know what I'm saying? Um, Sumera says, did Abdullah bin Abbas actually practice this? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, how he practiced it. But one would assume that he did practice it in this way. But I don't know of any other uh, of Abdullah bin, uh, Abdullah bin Abbas actually doing this himself. I don't know. Uh, is it possible that he would say as loud as a way of reminding others to do it? 
Yes, there are, uh, yani, uh, mentioning something a bit loud can have lots of potential explanations. I mean, you know. Is post-salah dhikr only for the obligatory prayers? And if not, is post-nafal dhikr the same as post-obligatory dhikr? Now, this is a good question. And the answer to this is that it has not been ever narrated from the Prophet ﷺ that he ever made dhikr after the nafal. Okay? It's only ever been narrated as far as I know that it has happened after the obligatory. And that is therefore something to be taken. Okay? And to, act, to be acted upon. Question about Tumatnina. What are the rulings related to it for Salah? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head it being mentioned. Yeah, that's coming. Tumatnina is something which is going to be coming. But it's basically being yani, relaxed in the prayer. Okay? Making sure that your breathing is relaxed, that you are sitting fixed in a... Yani, that you stay in each position and settle in each position. Breathe in and out in each position. That's Tumatnina. But we'll come to that yani, in its right time. Yeah. So just to clarify, did Sheikh Ibn did you say that after Allahumma salam, then the order of the zikr? No, no. Sheikh Uthameen said that Istaghfirullah is the only thing which is established in the Sunnah as being immediate. And then everything after that is okay. What order you put it in from everything which is narrated. However, we can put a few things together. We can say that Allahumma anta salam is up there, okay, uh, very soon. Whether it goes before Ayatul Kursi and the Tasbih is a matter of dispute, but the matter is flexible. Yeah, but it's only Astaghfirullah, which is for definite after the prayer. Yeah. Could the narration saying that he used both the right hand and the left hands mean that he was actually doing the dhikr on the right hand, then counting how many times you have done dhikr on your right hand, like to do 33, you would need to do 5 times 6 plus 3. <laughs> so on your left hand, you can count the 6 rounds on your left hand. Okay. Yeah. Well, Solange and he says that she's done it and has used paper and she made a rip and then she, whatever, so that's all cool. Oh, sugar for tawaf. Made a little rip until I got to seven. Yeah, where are you gonna, where, that's okay for women, yani, wearing everything, yeah, no problem. Yani, us in our flipping ihram, yani, dying as it is. Uh, we're we're going to put cars, yani. we're going to walk around with paper. Come on, Lala. Anyway, uh, there is a big tafsir class locally to me, but I have online classes for Quran. Is there a big relegation of reward with online learning? Yes. yes. There's no doubt about that. How have you been neglected online today? How's it? We didn't even give any sweets out, not a single thingy. We didn't make you feel bad. By the way, by the way, how did you lot feel, by the way, of the whole sweet situation in Toronto? It's not nice, is it? <laughs> That's why we didn't watch it, yeah? <laughs> we did that at the end, you see. And then Nabil was one of the original students, mashallah, he was there and he bought the sweets. He didn't bring, he bought limp bars, by the way. He lifted the bar, bro. Lint bar, bro. Listen, not everybody's starving themselves like you, bro. Can you see the like, how much, he's gone, he's disappeared, man. How much, how much food have you been putting into last time? How much food? Yeah, not enough, Lala. I'm telling you, it could have been a lot more. If I wasn't the rock that I am. <laughs> right, so... Yeah, there is. There's absolutely no doubt about it because, look, everything that we are saying for online is going to have to be a ta'wil. 
like for example, the malaika, right? So the malaika, they attend the circles of remembrance. So we're going to have to say, metaphorically speaking, that also means in my room when I'm online. Yeah? Now that's you having to bust a fatwa right there, isn't it? Now all I'm saying is that I'm happier and safer sticking to what's obvious than having to bust a fatwa. So, by the way, that moustache so suits you, bro. You look such a badmash, you know that. <laughs> you guys noticed? You guys, you've missed it, isn't it? Huh, Cam? What's my dad saying? They like it, yeah? Allah! Movember. He is doing it for Movember, yeah. He's like that. He's a gora, proper gora inside. Proper. He's just done it for, for November, that's it. Movember. But, but a full, it suits him, not that little pencil Bakwas used to have. It looked like someone who drew it. <laughs> now it's a f- taking donations. He's, what are you collecting for? The AE fund, yes, bro. So, um, yeah, you're going to have to use a fatwa, aren't you? <laughs> Let me say there's no doubt that yeah, there's barakah. I mean, you, you, instead of wasting time and you're in an online circle, of course, you're learning, there's reward, the, the angels are in the houses anyway. But I want you to imagine that a house that has other things going on. You know, a lot of people, for example, who watch LP at home, they've got the football on, on the TV. That's a known fact. All right? The, uh, let me just, by the way, you've noticed, isn't it, this year, Abu Dhar has attended at least 80% of the lessons. There's no surprise and no yani, random, there's a correlation between Man United being nowhere on this planet on a Wednesday, other than tucked up at home, and Abu Dhar yani, being here in lessons. Yeah. 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 He, he saved you there. Yeah, he changed the subject. Yeah, I, was, I was going for you there, bro. <coughs> right. Come on, and that's it, yeah? The ikhlas and falaqanat is generated as after every fard prayer. Now, it, the hadith indicates one time after every prayer and three times after the maghrib and the uh, fajr prayer. It is, it, is it better to space out the tasbih one by one and slowly or to do it as multiples and get 90 done in one shot? You know what? That's the second person who's come with this whole six per finger thing. I don't know what's, how you're doing six per on a finger. What am I missing here, Lala? What does that mean? <laughs> no, come on, man. What? what, 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 what? How do you get 90 done in one shot? Huh? 30. Twice in one go. Subhanallah, 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 subhanallah. That's six. All right, that's 30. 30 hand over. I don't know. This is my point. There is no hadith which indicates the manner on the hand, so it's all open, it's all flexible. Yeah, <laughs> yes, Jade, that's normally okay, but too late to ask that question now, bro. And uh, you have three seconds in each, yeah, okay, thank you for that, Mariam. Jazakumullah khair, three sections in each finger, right? So, I think we're done. Uh, listen, last testament, everybody online and uh, those who are uh, on site here as well, very important. 
especially for LP. I'll be sending out an email soon as well. Uh, Cheeto Masjid has been the home of logical progression and there has to come a time where we've got to fix it. And if, if for no other reason, if for no other reason, is to reduce my blood pressure when you lot start talking, yeah, and as soon as the salah finishes. Because if you knew what kittens these uncles are having, when you lot, right, just start going at it, yeah, it is so loud, it's untrue. It is untrue. Now, on one hand, it's murder. On the other hand, it's the greatest recruiting fundraising tool for the uncles humanly possible. Put your money where your mouth is and get, build a new masjid. They won't even be here in the same place. They'll be right above and then they'll empty out into the room where the circle is. You won't, anyway. <laughs> you won't be hearing anyone, seeing anyone. You won't have anyone to complain about carpet, sweets left on the carpet, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, Annie, if just for that reason. But everybody online as well, um, if you can uh, push the Manchester event on the 15th of November and then the, Quran, the, 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 the London one on the 16th of November, it's about an hour long. And of course, everybody here to attend and telling your family and more, most importantly, finding some rich folks. Don't be going around poor folks yeah, and telling them, you know, there's an event. Okay, we're not interested in no Yanni Pendles or Trumps. We want all the big boys. Okay, <laughs> call your professional circles, call the people who got better, call the people who have got, uh, whatever, and just say to them, listen. I'm not. I'm not going to do the, the, the bestie version. Yeah, yeah. But they've got to give some money in it. It's like, oh, sugar. Right. Okay. Anyway. خلاص. جزاكم الله خير سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت واستغفرك اللهم وأتوب إليك والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله.